You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. O Lord, Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom, enlighten our minds by Thy Holy Spirit and give us grace to receive Thy word with reverence and humility, without which none of us can understand Thy truth. For the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the bells work. I mean, isn't it amazing that we all know why we're here? Well, at least I think we know why we're all here. And yet it's amazing how easily distracted uh, we are by something like the bells. I mean, why they're going off, not only am I distracted and listening to them, I'm beginning to worry about being distracted while preaching. And so I don't know if, Charles, you cut the cable or, or what you did. Uh, but God bless you, friend. Uh, but you know, this idea of distraction and being able to focus on actually what is important and actually what is at hand is exactly what we're dealing with in our gospel passage this morning. Very easy questions, but profound questions that the text asks us from Mark chapter 1 Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? And in a sea of distractions that is our lives and even our nine o'clock service this morning, we, like the people around Jesus in his day, need to ask ourselves, what is our response to these questions? Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? He's just begun his ministry. He hasn't even called all of his disciples, that inner group of 12. He has Simon and Andrew and James and John. And he's been having a ministry of preaching as well as a ministry of healing. Most notably, or at least what's gotten him renowned, is his ability to cast out demons Now, these aren't like your two-hour movies where you've got to pray for the whole time and, you know, the demon, you know, yells back and then you try all kinds. With a word or even his presence, the demons depart. And yet, this ministry of Jesus, who he is and what he's come to do, is easily overshadowed by his healing ministry. And he understands that completely, and we'll see that here. He began his ministry, it says in verse 14, after John the Baptist was arrested, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is, we know what the content of his preaching is. Here it is. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But rather than taking for granted that we understand what Jesus is talking about, what does he mean by gospel? What do we mean by gospel here at the Advent? We talk about it a lot, but do we actually understand what it means? Mark begins his gospel saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we understand the word gospel in the context of a book of the Bible, right? The gospel of Matthew, 
the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. But is that what Jesus means here? No. What he's talking about when he talks about the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He even outlines it. The time is fulfilled at just the right time. While we were yet sinners, God sent the Lord Jesus into the world to save us. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus himself being the kingdom literally at hand. You can reach out and touch him. Repent and believe in the gospel. That the Holy Spirit might affect that change whereby you turn away from your old life and you face full the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe on him for your salvation. His death, his resurrection for you. That is the gospel, full stop, and that's the message of Jesus, full stop. The good news is that your Redeemer has come. The good news is that your Rescuer is here. And yet, even the demons understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. If you look at the preceding verses before ours in 29 through 39, Jesus goes into uh, the synagogue there in Capernaum, And he begins to preach. And all of a sudden, there was a man with an unclean spirit who cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the spirit did. Here's a man who probably sat in week in and week out in the synagogue under very weak teaching, nothing that ever prompted this demon inside of him to speak up. And yet Jesus comes into the synagogue and begins to preach. And there's an immediate acknowledgement. I know who you are and I know your power and I know what you've come to do. And Jesus rebukes. But of course nobody's listening because their response is, astonishment, amazement. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Why? Because of his preaching? No. Because of his healing miracles. So much so that he immediately leaves the synagogue And he goes into the house of Simon and Andrew where Simon's mother-in-law lay ill and Jesus immediately takes hold of her, lifts her up and the fever leaves her and she begins to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Of course this is part of his ministry. This healing. And yet... Jesus decides to go out to a deserted place and pray. Jesus only does this in four times in Mark's gospel. And each time he does it, it's at a point of crisis. Because they're seeing but not hearing. And so when the disciples come out and say, everyone's looking for you, he says to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Or as Luke's gospel would say, that is why I came into the world. This is why I've come. These experiences, these healings are meant to be signs that point the people to who I am and what I've done. And yet the people are very content to simply come and get their healing. 
But that's the propensity of human beings to seek out transcendence, to seek the experience rather than the experience giver. Jesus has a similar experience in John chapter 6 when he is fed the 5,000 and then he walks on water and everybody on the western eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee follows him over to the western shore looking for them, looking for him. Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they ask a really good question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The gospel. And then Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You've come because you saw the loaves. But you thought the loaves were an end unto themselves. Rather, understanding the loaves point to who I am and what I've come to do. Don't be satisfied with filling your belly for just one meal, but believe on me and know what it means to hunger no more. But we do it. We seek out the experience rather than the experience giver seeking to fill our spiritual bellies, looking to Jesus as an addition to our lives, a nice additive, one who we believe is his sole responsibility is to give us what we want when we want it. Surely the Lord provides for us. But is this why he came and what he is about? In fact, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God, seek me. And all these things shall be added unto you as well. There is a propensity, even in the church, to buy into this way of thinking. That when we gather on Sunday mornings, we have to create an experience. I mean, I've been to churches that have gone so far as to use smoke machines, big screens, and pyrotechnic light shows. But you know what? That's no different than a church that would use incense, rude screens, or candles. Are we seeking the experience, or are we seeking the experience giver? Are we content to go to a church and think, well, that was a lot of fun and I I feel like that really edified me, whether or not the gospel was preached? What is most important? The proclamation of the gospel. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law, God bless her, she's been healed. But as one of our former deans would remind us, what doesn't kill us only delays the inevitable. She's going to get sick again. She's going to die. And yet Jesus says, but if you look to me, 
you'll know complete healing. You'll know complete reconciliation with the Father through my cross and through my resurrection. That's what we ought to be seeking. Seeking the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is why Paul says, Woe be unto me if I do not preach the gospel. I desire to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. Of course, the Christian faith is experiential. When I was confirmed for lots of reasons, it got pushed off, it got pushed off, and so I wasn't confirmed until college, and I was going through a real funny phase where I was fully prepared when the bishop put his hands on my head to get zapped, right, to walk away a changed man. And so that day came, and I knelt before the bishop, and he put his hands on my head, and guess what? I was still the miserable sinner saved by grace that I was before he put his hands on my head. And I was disappointed. Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, said, it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. It's a sin to bore anyone with the gospel because the gospel is exciting. But think of that moment in Luke's gospel when Jesus, who's been resurrected from the dead, is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember? He begins to open the scriptures to them, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, to say that Jesus himself is the Christ, the one that the Bible talks about, the promised redeemer. And then after fellowshipping with them, after supping with them, Jesus disappears from their eyes, and then they say what? Did not our hearts burn within us? when he opened to us the scriptures. Which means what? If they want to replicate that experience of their hearts burning, does that mean they need to spend the rest of their lives walking on dusty Palestinian roads hoping that Jesus shows up? No. All they have to do is simply open up God's word to feel their hearts burn. Now I too in my Christian life, have had those mountaintop experiences and then spent a good deal of my Christian life trying to replicate those, trying to chase after those, to recapture that, that, feel, that feeling that I once had that I no longer seem to have as I languish. And yet God's word to us this morning is don't seek out the experience. Seek out Him who gives the experience of new life, Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus is calling on in our lives. And so this morning I ask you, when you encounter the Lord Jesus, are you astonished and in awe? Or do you respond as he expects? In verse 15, repent and believe. That is the Christian response. There are moments of awe and astonishment, but the Christian response is to turn away from our lives and to seek the Lord Jesus Christ himself where you will find unspeakable joys. I love the hymn that we just sang because you know what? It doesn't say when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Does this describe you, Christian? Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. 
the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way, from the burning of the noontide heat and burden of the day. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let my pride go by, to know no gain nor loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. As Christians, we're in the wilderness. And of course, our hearts long for that experience, that booing up. And there are times where the Spirit visits us and we feel Him acutely. But if you're languishing this morning, if you've lost your feeling of awe and amazement, repent and believe on Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit's grace, you will recapture that awe and amazement, but in its rightful place, by seeking Jesus Christ and not the spiritual experience. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.